This is Live Well Talk on Fibromyalgia. I'm Dr. Dustin Arnold, Chief Medical Officer at Unity Point Health, St. Luke's. Many of us are planning on celebrating uh, National Cheese and Asparagus Month in May, but additionally, <laughs> May is Fibromyalgia Awareness Month. And according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, fibromyalgia affects about 4 million Americans, which is about 2% of the population. Returning to the podcast today is my friend and colleague, Dr. Stanley Matthew of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. He serves as the medical director of that uh, well-respected unit. We're going to discuss the signs, symptoms, risk factors, and treatment of this condition. Dr. Matthew, welcome back. Dr. Arnold, it is an honor and a pleasure to be here, my friend. Uh, Before I say anything about fibromyalgia, I have to say a huge thank you because for the last two and a half years, you have been leading uh, a very big hospital system getting us through a global pandemic, and I couldn't ask for a smarter, more compassionate person uh, steering this ship. So grateful for all that you did. Well, that, those are and, kind words. Let me return those kind words. Uh, we have a, a special, this is our 200th podcast day, right. so we have a special right. guest on all the right. 200th. We'll bring you back on the 400th. How's that sound? That, that sounds awesome. Let's make this a good one. Yeah, you bet. Fibromyalgia, I don't know when it came into clinical practice. I mean, so I'm a medical student in the early 1990s. Me uh, as well. Yeah. It, okay. And, you know, fibromyalgia kind of started. And at first, let's be honest here, it was like, oh, my gosh, these are this is in their head. This isn't true. But then uh, I, did, I was doing my rotation as a neuro- neurology rotation, right? And, you know, as the medical student, you get all the, the fibromyalgia patients, right? And the... I was, it occurred to me that, okay, how do these people that are from disparate towns, have no relation to each other, all have the same findings, same symptoms? I mean, as, as if they rehearsed it. You know, it was wow. that consistent. Well, good point. So then good you have point. to stop and say, there's something to this. There has to be something to this. And I think over the next 20 years, 23 years, that we, it has. We have developed that this is a condition and it recognized in treatment. So, but first, just let's start, what, what, how would you explain fibromyalgia? Big diagnosis, Dr. Arnold. You know, uh, just like you, about 20 years ago, when I first learned about this disease, uh, it was actually initially in the DSM-4, which is our uh, psychiatric yeah, uh, illness. Yeah, illness. Yeah. Uh, at that time, and science is constantly evolving, it doesn't mean they were wrong. It just means they didn't have the data yet. They thought fibromyalgia was a psychiatric illness. By they, I mean uh, physicians treating this uh, presentation of massive whole body pain. Pain, uh, for those of us in the medical word, the world is the four-letter word that nobody wants to hear because it's overwhelming and a lot of us physicians don't know what the best way to manage somebody in pain. Uh, It's really straightforward if somebody breaks their ankle, you know where it's causing the pain, you know how to maybe set this ankle straight, and then some therapy and medication to manage. But when a patient comes to the office or the hospital stating that their whole body hurts and they can't sleep, uh, they're depressed, they're anxious. Often these patients are really emotionally labile, uh, crying, screaming. Uh, the, the doctor wonders where to start. 
Uh, I'll start with this. As the science and education developed, they found out it wasn't a psychiatric illness. We, we had been treating it wrong. And over the last 15 years, neurologists, as you said, have found out it's actually a neurologic illness. Uh, the medical term now for fibromyalgia is sensity, sensi- sensory hypersensitivity syndrome. Uh, I think of it like this, Dr. Arnold. It's almost like the volume for pain doesn't know how to turn down. And uh, the connections between the central nervous system and the peripheral nervous system are constantly firing. Uh, so what you have is, is this outlandish noise of pain. And these patients are all suffering and with a lot of very similar symptoms. Uh, some of them that I, I mentioned already, but typically it's uh, symptoms such as, Doc, I just don't feel well. I never feel good. I never sleep well. I'm always tired. Uh, Doc, I have headaches all the time. Doc, my face hurts. Doc, my body hurts. My back hurts. My knee hurts. And as you start letting your patient just share what's going on with them, you start seeing pictures and signs of there's something bigger than just uh, a simple um, neck ache going on. Uh, So over the last five to 10 years, fibromyalgia research has gone intensive. They've uh, come up with medications now that can actually turn down some of this hypersensitivity that's going on in your nervous system. Now, my belief is that over the next five or 10 years, they may find out it has some autoimmune components. Uh, Doc, as you know, autoimmune disease, I I tell my patients, it's kind of like your blood is just producing all sorts of things that aren't supposed to be there. Right. Uh, Exactly. You know, I I tell my patients, it's like your blood is really hot and we need to cool this down a little bit. Um, You know, we haven't talked about workup, but one of the first things we do when I see a fibromyalgia patient in our office is get an autoimmune workup just to make sure we're not missing anything. Well, that that was going to be my next question or or observation and get your response. That would be probably a better description. You know, it's the, I call it kind of the Arnold paradox where, you know, people will say, oh, well, that's really complex. You know, that patient has sepsis and total body failure and, um, and, and that's complex care. Well, not really. I know straightforward, you know, our, our friend and colleague, Dr. Kettlecamp, if they show up in the ER with EKG changes consistent with acute heart attack, he says, okay, let's go to the cath level. Let's open up that vessel. It's straightforward. It's not complex. Right, right. It's has a complexity to it, but it's not a complex, uh, or it's a, a complicated process, but not complex. The, these are patients that show up with this kind of, you know, the, the colloquialism medicine is positive review of system. And that's just it. You don't want to miss something. It, because I mean, these the, the, the indolent, the nonspecific findings, that was going to be my question is, how, how do you approach that patient to make sure they, they don't have some other condition that's going on that's mimicking this? Yeah, g- great question, Dr. Arnold. And I'll tell you, uh, you know, I've been practicing for not as long as uh, my professor and colleague, Dr. Arnold, but about 12, 13 years now. And, uh, you know, starting off with at this season of my life, what I can tell a new clinician is, listen, uh, most of the time, the patients will tell you the diagnosis over time and as you're listening to what their symptoms are. Uh, My experience with my own uh, fibromyalgia patients are they say, Doc, you're the first person who ever uh, sat down and actually listened to what's going on with me. Uh, you know, that's part of the first 
step to healing also. Uh, I mean, um, you, you bring up the analogy of uh, the heart attack. Uh, it's easy to see because, or easier to see because there's an actual EKG or cardiac enzymes that we can yeah, draw on. Yeah. Uh, now, unfortunately, with fibromyalgia, even to this date, there is no blood work that proves you have this disease. So what we want to do is uh, not miss something horrible that also could be causing these symptoms. But it's it's not going to be a diagnosis on the first day you meet me. Uh, it's going to be a diagnosis maybe on the third or fourth time we, we meet and we try different things. I do like ruling out things as, as we talked about. Right. I think getting right. some blood work is great. But uh, my hunch with a lot of these disorders, even with fibromyalgia purely, uh, Dr. Arnold, a lot of times they still have a little bit of mild inflammation on blood work, even if their r- rheumatoid factor is negative or their you know, uh, ANA is, is negative. Uh, another wild thing that I've seen o- over the course of my practice is that you do a, a blood work today, it comes back okay, and then you repeat it in a couple years because you just want to make sure. Uh, and sometimes after two years, this blood work comes out positive, even though the symptoms haven't changed, which uh, you know better than me. I- I'm sure it has a lot to do with this sensitivity of and specificity of, of the blood work. But there is this overlap for sure between chronic pain, fibromyalgia, and um, that whole bucket of autoimmune things. One of the things we do after listening is start some treatment, Doc. You know, uh, we like trying different things that may help and may uh, may not, but it, it's going to take some time. The patient has to be a willing participant. So one of the first things uh, I ask and let them know is, is that, uh, you know, today we're not going to cure you. Uh, and that's not even our goal because, unfortunately, everyone who's listening to this right now, there is no cure yet for fibromyalgia, and we're not trying to. We're trying to improve your overall function and quality of life. And thankfully, we've been able to do this over the last many years. So, you know, there's a myth or not, uh, I think of fibromyalgia as a women's disease, but I don't think that's correct. It, do you know what the breakdown is <clears throat> per sex? Yeah, it, it, it is not a women's disease, though. Um, I, I think some of that comes from uh, us stubborn men don't like going to see the doctor. Whereas women are, uh, their IQ is much higher and know if something's going on, it might be good to talk about it. But uh, percentage wise, I'd say it's only about 10% more women than men. And age ranges a wide variety. Uh, Reasons that it starts, again, a wide variety. I've had patients who started off as a uh, accident that, you know, injured their back that later developed into this chronic pain syndrome versus the patient who, uh, you know, has been hyperflexible their whole life uh, and uh, always has kind of hurt and uh, in their 20s now has developed this chronic pain syndrome. Uh, it often presents with a, a lot of stiffness, achiness, um, uh, sensitivity. Mood and sleep all go hand in hand. So there's these overlaps of, I'm not sleeping well. Do you maybe have sleep apnea? Uh, do you have restless restless leg syndrome? Uh, doc, my whole body hurts now, and now I have TMJ. I also have migraines. So when it, when all these things starts piling up, it can be overwhelming to the provider. But to my provider friends that are listening, I would say you know you tr- start with the underlying source of 
let's try to manage your pain and then focus on the specific areas. Uh, another big thing we preach in our um, PM&R team is uh, pain psychology. You know, this has gotten uh, a lot more, what's the right word? I would say uh, provocative, more appealing. Uh, people are more open to actually talking to somebody. Yeah. Uh, it used to be, oh, I'm not depressed. I don't need to see a, see a psychologist or I'm not crazy. And now, you know, when I approach it is obviously you're, you're doing great, but uh, I don't, not trying to fix your depression. What I want to do is give you other tools to help you kind of deal with the stress of having chronic pain. Because as you know, uh, Dr. Arnold, me and you have a headache. It's tough to attend a meeting. Uh, it's tough to go watch your kids play right. sports. If your whole body was hurting every day, it affects relationships, it affects your ability to work, it affects your ability to be active. So getting into mindset, and I'm, I'm grateful that we have an amazing psychology team yeah, here at Luke's, the, uh, you the, know, led the by Dr. podcast, Palmer. and they'll be on future ones as well. Yeah. You know, not to misquote uh, for the Shakespeare uh, enthusiasts <laughs> listening, uh, not to misquote Macbeth, but, you know, sleep is so important. Um, sleep knits the unraveled sleeve of life or something well, along those lines well, in, in Macbeth. Uh, but so tell us, so establishing that sleep cycle is probably the first thing that needs to be accomplished. That's where we and start. people don't sleep enough. People do not sleep enough. Uh, Dr. Arnold, I, I don't know how well you sleep. I don't think me and you sleep enough either, <laughs> Dr. Arnold. It is uh, the this this go, go, go of humanity yeah, that we live in. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I was uh, listening to a Tony Robbins uh, a couple weeks ago, and he said most of us don't even know how to breathe properly. Uh, we just keep going, you know, just even pausing. And I do uh, a little bit of mindfulness sometimes when I see a patient, just teaching them how to take a minute, pause and do, uh, you know, a two minute breathing exercise. Uh, while I'm doing it with the patient, I suddenly feel a sense of bliss and I'm like, holy smoke, when's the last time I just paused for a minute and just thought about my breathing, you know? Um which triggers this thought of me, Dr. Arnold, you know, this whole mind-body connection is huge. Uh, and autoimmune disease, cancer, and uh, a lot of diseases from hypertension to stroke, stress has been a huge underlying theme in all of this, you know. And a lot of my patients with fibromyalgia, unfortunately, are, have a lot of other things going on. I wish there was, a, a, it was easy as taking a pill and your stress is going to yeah, go yeah. away. Unfortunately, it's not, you know, uh, though, though medication can help some patients. Yeah. With our work, with our uh, cultural competency, you know, we're looking at disparities of different ethnicities, social economic classes, and it's obvious, it well documented in the medical literature, stress does hinder your health. Yeah, yeah. So people that are perhaps in a lower socioeconomic class and that the stress of finances and relationships are there, uh, they, they really, they have worse health outcomes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, it is measurable. And, uh, you know, so that's one thing that we, we, we are looking at through, uh, those efforts. So we talked about sleep. What are some other measures to treat fibromyalgia? So, and I, first of all, I, I think this whole, I know you started this a couple of years ago, prior to the pandemic, uh, when you uh, kind of restructure your clinic to think more about function and quality of life. 
you know. And I think, I slowly, I think we're doing a good job of that as physicians. Where you know, if the car's making noise, the mechanic just doesn't turn the radio up louder, right? Well, well, we try to figure out what's going well, on yeah, and yeah. make the the patient better. Uh, but talking to patients about your function and your quality is much better than saying, "Well, is your pain a one or a 10? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. my one might be your 10 or vice versa, right? Correct, correct. Very subjective. You're right. You're right. Um, Doc, interesting. You bring up a, uh, a transition even in my own thinking about chronic pain. When I trained many moons ago, uh, we had a hammer and everything was a nail, you know? Uh, so chronic pain. I think and- you just quoted Confucius since we're on these quotations. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, uh, I'll tell you, when I trained many moons ago, the uh, attending, uh, I'd be following him around, the pain specialist, and he would say, this person has fibromyalgia. Here's uh, three tramadol, and this will probably, they'll need this for the rest of their life. Tramadol for uh, us, uh, anyone who's not in medicine is a pain medicine. Um, mild non-opioid, essentially. And what began to happen over time is uh, the patient would say initially this tramadol would help. And gradually over time, the tramadol would stop due to no fault of their own, but their body became tolerant to it. Uh, Most medications, you use them every day, all day, uh, they start working. So fast forward to 2013, 14, 15, the opioid crisis is amongst us. Uh, We were taught that uh, pain was the fifth vital sign. We had to aggressively treat pain because if not, we were going to give our patients a stroke or a cardiac arrhythmia because their uh, pain wasn't well controlled. Uh, So when the pause, the research, uh, to say this well, scientists have come up with that we were now actually doing a huge disservice to patients by prescribing opioids, we decided that we were going to put a pause on opioid prescriptions and try to manage patients from a non-opioid standpoint, which I honestly initially in my mind thought, wow, this is going to be a huge mess and a lot of patients are going to suffer. Uh, So we take, I'll say, 3,000 patients that were pain sufferers mixed in some of them. Uh, A lot of them had fibromyalgia. We gradually wean them off of pain medication in the form of opioids. And the mind-blowing thing was the research was right. These patients were not any more painful off of their opioids than they were on on them. I do think uh, that now uh, that we've been practicing a non-opioid management of pain, our outcomes have really improved uh, because we push modalities. So I mentioned pain psychology being our bread and butter. Aqua therapy is something we love that Unity Point uh, partners with a few local pools where patients have tried uh, run-of-the-mill physical therapy, where they're in a, a physician's or a therapy office, but it's very painful to bend, stretch, and move right. uh, when you're hurting. But in the water, everything changes, uh, which has been a huge game changer for us. Uh, partnering with different um, specialists as far as procedures and injections always are a great thing. 
And we've also had a great result with just uh, some a few medications that can actually go back to this sensory hypersensitivity that I talked about. And the ones that are really popular now are the gabapentin, Neurontin, uh, Lyrica, um, pregabalin, uh, Cymbalta, Dolexetine, and Topamax. These four, um, in some combination, have really done wonders for a lot of our patients. <clears throat> yeah, that's a... Uh, I, I was always frustrated with gabapentin because the titration, you know, what it's a, what, a 100 milligrams or 300 milligrams a day up to like 3,600. You, you, you know, so you had this huge titration range, and uh, that was always a frustration, but... Uh, Lyrica is a little bit more narrow, right? You got it. Yeah. You got yeah. it. You got it. A bit, a bit stronger, Dr. Arnold. You know, these things have side effects. Uh, the gabapentin and Lyrica, you know, we, when I talk, talk about them to my patients, I tell them, what am I trying to do? Turn your nervous system down. So if I do that, by default, you're going to get a little tired, a little drowsy, these sorts of things you got to be mindful of, you know? But I think one of the best things that uh, our clinic has been able to do is just have a place for patients with pain to go to to be heard. Uh, the acceptance of the disease uh, and not the um, unfortunate scenario where you have a wonderful uh, family practice physician who's managing your blood pressure, diabetes, and then you throw in, I also have chronic daily pain and I can't sleep and it's, it's so much for one one physician to manage, whereas they know when they're coming to see us, we're here focused on your pain. This is your chance to decompress for the next 20, 30 minutes, and we're going to figure out things we can try. Uh, Doc, and I, I think you, you know we, we um, did an anecdotal small study uh, with uh, three vitamins, uh, well, supplemented vitamins, vitamin C, turmeric, and ginger. Just a couple hundred people, no, no, nothing serious, small study. Uh, the, the results are about to be published, but I, I'll give you the, the big takeaway was, and it's pretty wild. It goes back to mindset. If you believed the supplement was going to work, it worked pretty wild. Now, really small study, so we can't really give this any huge backing, but it also opened my eyes again to, my God, mindset is everything, you know, whether you're, you know, trying to get through a COVID pandemic or uh, trying to get your health right. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think that goes back to uh, glucosamine chondroitin, you know, that, I mean, I guess they did find that glucosamine had a little anti-inflammatory yeah, effect, so yeah, that maybe yeah, that's what yeah, influenced yeah. it, but, um, yeah, you know, I always, I, I always say turmeric, but it's turmeric. <laughs> right? You're right, you're right. Turmeric. Yeah, turmeric, yeah. You see Dr. Stork on television, he recommends turmeric. Um, <laughs> it, it's interesting you talk about the patients with chronic pain, because, um, in my position as chief medical officer, sometimes a, a concern will come to me that, oh, I was treated like a, a drug seeker mm. in the mm. emergency room. Mm. Mm. And, you know, really, I mean, I assure the patient that that wasn't the intent, Attention, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But sometimes I feel like, well, yeah, you are a drug seeker, and we're the one that made you that way. We threw these opioids at a marginally opioid-requiring condition, and now – you are looking for these drugs. So, I mean, I think I think as physicians, um, we owe a lot of patients and a lot of listening to these uh, patients that are on opioids and get them over to medicine to look at functional quality of life issues. Yeah, you know, you bring up a great topic. You know, I tell my patients in our practice, if you're hurting, 
uh, because you had an exacerbation of your pain, the emergency room is not the right place. You know, the ER, if you're uh, having difficulty breathing, a heart attack, an emergency like a a fracture or something like that is the right location. But if not, wait to talk to somebody in the morning. Because unfortunately, you know, uh, having exacerbation of pain isn't just take two pills and, okay, you'll be fine, and, I'll, and then go follow up with your doctor. So, you know, our, our patients and people that are suffering with fibromyalgia that are listening to this, uh, make sure you get checked out with the doctor. You know, go into the ER or the urgent care for uh, an exacerbation of pain often isn't the right location. Yeah, that's a good. That's a that's a, a good advice uh, and uh, um, certainly applicable uh, to our healthcare system. That sometimes going to those quick fixes uh, aren't a quick fix, and uh, the patient doesn't do well. So, I'm a physician. I'm a patient. Listen to this. And well, first of all, they're listening and they're really enjoying it because it's a super podcast and it's the 200th episode. So, you know, they're sitting there. Oh. Enjoying that right now, but but I want to get my patient into you. I want to make a referral. How do I do that? Well, uh, our offices are located, everyone, on the fifth and sixth floors of St. Luke's Hospital. Pretty amazing. Uh, we were able to have some space here uh, right next to our rehab unit. Uh, you give us a call. Check us out on our website. Uh, we'd love to be an asset to you someone you love, uh, at least give it a shot. Again, we don't have the cure, but if you are suffering with chronic pain, uh, any of our staff would love to see you, talk to you, and see how we can help. Uh, Phone number, I'm sure you'll drop at the end of this uh, podcast, but but we're here right inside St. Luke's Hospital, so uh, pretty easy location to get to. Additionally, you have some outreach in Dubuque, so uh, I'm sure this, this podcast is generated worldwide. Awesome. And so I'm awesome. sure we have Dubuque listeners. Very cool. Uh, and maybe even Fillmore listeners. Uh, and uh, they want to know how they can see you. How often in Dubuque and how do they, how do they contact you there? Awesome. You know, Doc, this year, we, uh, with the support of uh, Unity Point, we're able to open up a second office in Dubuque. Uh, presently, they're there two days a week, Monday and Tuesday. Uh, we have an awesome uh, rehab unit there also. Uh, so it's just uh, a great adjunct to our physical this medicine and Finley, rehab department correct. at Finley Hospital. Yeah. Uh, and then here at St. Luke's, we're located on the fifth and sixth floors if anyone needs help. But, uh, you know, reach out to us. We're, we're all over the web. Um, you know, you, ju- you get online and, and Google any of us, you'll, it will pop up. But we'd love the chance to try to help uh, anyone out there who's suffering. This is great information. Uh, thank you for joining me, Dr. Matthew. Uh, it's always a pleasure to, uh, to have a conversation with you, and uh, thank you for being part of the 200th episode. Once again, this is Dr. Stanley Matthew, Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation Medical Director. For more information, visit unipoint.org. Thanks, Dr. Arnold. Thank you for listening to Live Well Talk On. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, and if you want to spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your family, friends, neighbors, strangers, about our podcast. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, be well.